All right, good morning. I'm going to be reading our scripture, which comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. And the scripture will appear on the screens for you to follow along. Starting at verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The word of the Lord. What's going on, Renaissance? My name is Jordan. Uh, I am one of the pastors here. Very glad that you guys are here. I see a lot of you 10 o'clock people at the 1130 for daylight savings. It's okay. It's all good. Hey, I don't know if you've ever had a moment in life, uh, maybe it was reading a scripture and something just hit you and you knew that from reading that, your life would never be the same. Uh, maybe it was a song uh, or maybe it was a really mundane day-to-day encounter that you had and you knew as a result that your view of God has changed as a result of that one small, seemingly insignificant thing that happened. Uh, this happened to me a couple of months ago using this trusty thing called the nose Frida. Parents of young children, there we go. One day, this thing might save your life right here. It's only $8. I'm not getting paid any money for, to uh, promote this. Uh, basically, my son, probably more than anything, detests this. Uh, whenever he has a cold, since he's too young to know how to really blow his nose, in order to get the gunk out of his nasal cavity, whatever you want to call it, we have to go in there and extract it out. And thankfully, there is something that prevents the snot from coming in my mouth, because I don't love him that much. And every time he sees this, uh, he is miserable. Every time he sees this, he runs as fast as his little legs will take him in the opposite direction, and he still doesn't know how to hide too well, so he just stands in the corner. I'm like, just because you turned around doesn't mean I can't see you. It's a sharp kid that we have. And when I get him, uh, we have to pin him down because he's kicking, he's screaming, he's yelling, he's fighting with all of his little might to stop uh, us from using this on his nose. And one day when I was using it, I had an epiphany. I thought, this kid really thinks that I'm trying to kill him. But I couldn't be doing any more loving of an act than to do what I'm doing right now. Now, what if our Heavenly Father sometimes pins us down? 
And he does stuff to us that is the farthest thing from what we would want him to do in our lives, but it is, in fact, the most loving possible thing that he could ever do. There's an author by the name of Elizabeth Elliot, uh, and she went to uh, a farm where she was talking to a shepherd who had to dip his sheep in antiseptic to keep them from being eaten alive by parasites. And as she was watching the sheep go down into the, the mixture to protect them and bobbing up for air and fighting the entire way, she asked the question, hey, I wonder what it feels like to think that your shepherd is trying to kill you. Now, what we're going to see in today's story in Scripture is a, a pretty uncomfortable interaction that Jesus has with people that actually follow him. And here's what I've learned in life and what we're going to see in the story. God loves you and me, and God wants to help you. But sometimes God's help and sometimes God's leadership in your life isn't what you want it to be. Sometimes God's help, God's assistance, God's activity in your life is actually the farthest thing from what you would want. It's so far above and beyond what you think is necessary. It's so far above and beyond what you think is important that it would feel like God has it out for you in unfair ways, that what he is doing, what he's allowing to happen in your life is unnecessary or maybe even cruel. Now, this is really important that we get this, um, particularly for you, if you are new to following Jesus or you're just checking this whole Jesus thing out and you're new to church or this is your first time back in a number of years and you're trying to figure out what is it like, uh, what would it be like for me to really follow Jesus? What would it be like for you to really come into contact with God? Now, that's our big motivation for doing this series. We want to present people in the series called Encountering Jesus with real pictures, real images, with real encounters of what it would look like for you to put your faith in Jesus. And for those of us in this room who are Christians, and you've been a Christian for however long, a lot of us, and certainly I'm, I'm like this, I'm guilty of it, uh, we fall into these ruts where we feel like uh, the activity that God has for our life should be within these very strict parameters of what we think is already comfortable. And if it goes outside of these bounds, then it must not be God. It must not be Jesus' life. But what, here's what we're going to see in today's story, uh, that God oftentimes does things that are so alarming, uh, so dislodging, that it disrupts us. It disrupts us at a deep level, and it, it offends us. It hurts us a little bit, but what God is trying to get at is something much deeper and much more foundational to our lives than we could ever understand or imagine for ourselves. And this is what we see in this encounter. Now, one scripture we've been saying every week since we've started the series uh, talks about uh, why we are looking at these encounters with Jesus. It comes from Colossians 1 and 15. It basically says this, that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Right? God is invisible. Nobody in here has ever seen God the Father. Uh, but if you want to get a good understanding of what God is like, you should look at Jesus. If you want to get a good understanding of what, how God would treat you, look at Jesus, God the Son. If you want to get a good understanding of what it would look like to be in contact and encounter God, you should look at the encounters that Jesus had with people. And this is why we're so excited about the series. So what is God like? What is God really like? Even better, how should you and I respond to God? Now, we're going to answer this by turning to a passage of Scripture um, and, uh, in Luke 9. Uh, and here's 
one of the things that struck me so big about the scripture, that if you and I uh, trust Jesus, um, it's going to require that he would take us outside of the bounds of what we are comfortable doing. And sometimes the activity in our life will be above and beyond, well above and beyond what we think is necessary or even comfortable in our lives. Now, every single Sunday when I look out at this church, I'm reminded of a small group of people that gathered in my apartment uh, with just a dream. Uh, The core team of people, shout out to the core, you guys are still, there we go. And it's not a lot of people. Uh, We're still here. But it it were men and women who dreamed that one day we could have a church full of people just like you and, and me. People that were down to earth, uh, trying to follow Jesus, godly, well-dressed. We could, do, we could do it all. Hey, and we required a lot of trust from these people. These people gave their time, their energy, their money, their reputation uh, to see this get off the ground. And here's what I've learned over the years of following Jesus, uh, that where trust exists, God moves. That where trust exists, God moves. Now, I have to be really careful to say that God is not your genie or my genie in a bottle. Uh, This is not to say that if you trust in God for something, God is going to give you automatically that. Uh, We're not talking about trusting in God for something. We're talking about simply trusting in God. And that soil of simply trusting in God, God's methods, God's timing, God's, um, God's goals for our life. In trusting God, God moves and God multiplies and God does exceedingly above and beyond more than we could ever ask or imagine. Now, we're just getting started here um, at Renaissance. We're just getting started of what I think God is going to do through this community, and I'm always so grateful to know Uh, and to see what God is doing. But mark my words, we will not do anything in this community. We will not do anything as a church uh, that that will not require from us simply trusting in God. Now, we're going to walk through this scripture today uh, in a way that's called exegetically. Uh, That's a big fancy schmancy word for all of you people out there. Uh, And exegetically basically means that we're going to go through this entire passage of Scripture and ask the question of Scripture, hey, what did the author intend for his intent? his original audience to get from that. And if you're struggling to do daily Bible reading and you don't know kind of how to start, hey, take some notes uh, today as we're walking through Scripture and see some pointers, and this could be helpful for you as you do your CBR or your daily daily, uh, Bible reading. Starts off in verse 10. Uh, It says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Now, it starts with Jesus' disciples coming back from a journey. Jesus had um, sent them out and told them, don't take any money, don't take any food, and you're going to go out and do wonderful things. And they did. And they came home, and they were excited, and they were telling Jesus all the things that they had done. And, but God's stories for our life rarely, rarely stay um, like that. Oftentimes, whenever you see Jesus encounter people, the story is going one way, and then it busts a hard left and goes in a much different direction, and that's what happens in this story. Later, uh, people found out that Jesus was in town, and a crowd started to form. Verse 11 says that the crowd started, uh, but the crowds learned about it, about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. 
Now, even before Instagram, even before Twitter, uh, there was popularity, and there were people who had a following um, with, with no filters either. Jesus wasn't taking selfies. He didn't have to do that to get a following. Uh, what we see here is that wherever Jesus went, a lot of times he would have a big crowd that would come out to hear them. And here's the first thing that we got to see as we're walking through this text today. Uh, in verse 11, it says, when the crowds learned about him, he welcomed them. Now, this is so vital for at least some of you guys to get. You and I are not interruptions to Jesus. Even if it is not the regularly scheduled program that you think God has, you and I are not interruptions and that God welcomes people to him. If your picture of God is a God that requires that you do the ninja warrior gauntlet in order to get to him, that's not God. Jesus welcomes people to him. And no matter where you are in life, I don't care what you, who you are, what you have done, Jesus welcomes people, everyone, to him. And all you and I have to do is simply go towards him. Now, a lot of us have this fear that God uh, would not welcome us. God would not allow us to be anywhere near him. But the story of Scripture tells us something much different. Jesus welcomes us to himself. And that's a beautiful truth. If you don't get anything else, uh, please get that. So in verse 12, it says uh, we get to a place where Jesus is going to call his disciples to go above and beyond what they thought was comfortable, what they thought was good in their lives. It says, after he had finished preaching, the story goes on to say, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him, and the 12, he's talking about the apostles, uh, came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. Now, they were in the boondocks. Um, there was no seamless back then, surprisingly. Uh, there was no Costco. They couldn't go and grab some, some food on the way back home. And the disciples thought they were being caring. They said, Jesus, send everybody away because we're in a remote place. They probably have a pretty long journey to get back to where they're going to get to. And if they're going to not faint on the way back, uh, you should send them away now so that they can go back and get some food. It was getting late. Uh, and Jesus replies with what is the climax of the story and what I think uh, the word of the Lord would have to tell us today he doesn't let them uh, send people away. He says, you give them something to eat. Even though their objection was a good one. Jesus is getting late. We're in a remote place. They need to get some food. Jesus turns to them and says, you give them something to eat. Now, in their following of Jesus, uh, they were probably riding the spiritual high of having done all these different things uh, earlier in the chapter. But where Jesus is taking them now is going to be to a really uncomfortable place to get at something that is pretty foundational for their lives that they would not have gotten otherwise. It's interesting, uh, this scripture is actually one of the two miracles that is in every single gospel. So you have the gospel accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this uh, specific encounter is one that you see in all four accounts. And John, the apostle, when he writes about it, he says it like this, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, when we're looking at this encounter with Jesus, um, we see this. Oftentimes, Jesus is disruptive. He interrupts the plans that you and I have. He interrupts the agenda that you and I have. He interrupts 
us at deep fundamental levels to get at something much deeper than you and I could have ever thought or imagined in the first place. One of his disciples comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, yo, bro, it would cost like 50 G's to feed all these people. It says like a half a year's wages. You guys make a lot more money than I do. So uh, it would cost a whole lot of money to feed these people. And Jesus, check this out. We don't, have, we don't have that type of bread. And Jesus turns to them, and he doesn't let them off the hook. He says, you feed them. Now, here's what I love more than anything. When the Bible tells stories about the apostles, it doesn't give us this picture of these superhuman people that do wonderful things. It doesn't give us a picture of these superhumans that are always ready to do whatever. Uh, it gives us a picture of really normal people just like me and you, and it shows us their reaction to Jesus. The first thing that they do is they procrastinated, right? Uh, this is what a lot of us do. Verse 12, it says, late in the afternoon, or in one version it says, uh, now the day was ending. So here's what that means. It means they had all day to think about it. The day was ending, and they wait till late in the game like, you ready? Jesus, man, sorry, bro. I, I think it's time. We got to send them home. They had all day to scrounge. They had all day to plan. They had all day to prepare, and they didn't. They procrastinated. Now, here's what a lot of us do, right? You hear about a really good thing to do. Maybe it's to give some money to something. Maybe it's to give some money to an organization, to this church, and you say, as soon as this tax refund comes, when it's refund season, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to give. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start serving in church as soon as this busy season and work kind of clears itself out because, you know, our boss is crazy, we're in transition, and it's just so much stuff going on. Hey, I'm going to really be consistent in community group once this show is over. Like, once This Is Us goes into break, then, <laughs> then I'm really going to be consistent in a, in a weekly, weekly basis. And what a lot of us do is uh, we know there's a good godly thing that God wants us to do, and we procrastinate. And we wait till the day is ending, and we say, sorry, Jesus, I don't know what happened. And we keep on kicking the can down the road uh, and hoping uh, that somehow the, re the responsibility would uh, disappear from us. Check this out. It's never too late in the game. It's never too late in the day to start following Jesus. Now is always the best time to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. Right now was always the best time. Second thing they did is they tried to avoid responsibility. Uh, so they procrastinated first, and the second thing they tried to do is avoid responsibility. Verse 12, they said, Send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. Send the people away. Now, what are they trying to do by sending people away? They're passing off the responsibility. They're saying, Listen, yo, I didn't invite these people here. They knew what they were getting into when they came here. I didn't tell them to come. I didn't promise them no food. It's on them to, to do what they got to do. They should go and get what they need to get for themselves so that they could be taken care of. And Jesus doesn't allow that. Listen, we just announced our partnership with uh, Hope for New York. We're going to want to see renewal happen in this city in real ways. We're going to want to see people, their lives, not just the four walls. They come to church and sing a song. We want to see people's entire lives affected by the gospel, and it's going to take you, and it's going to take me, and you're going to feel the temptation to avoid responsibility, to say, well, hey, is it really my job to, 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 to get involved with this? Yes. We're going to see this in this encounter with Jesus. It is our job. It is the job of anybody who, who has placed their faith in Jesus uh, to work uh, for the kingdom above and beyond even their own. 
interests. They tried to avoid responsibility. The third thing they did is they worried. Um, they said, Lord, it would take six months' wages to, just to pay for these guys to eat, and I can just kind of hear their anxiety going into overdrive, uh, especially for the analytics of the group, those of you who think in Excel. Um, when you start crunching the numbers, you start to think about all of the different things it would take for you to get involved in what God is calling you to do. Uh, it's pretty easy to worry about what God could be calling you to do and whether or not uh, how it would leave you um, short if you were to actually be obedient. And I, I love what Jesus says. He looks at them. I know you procrastinated. I know you try to avoid the situation. And I know this is uncomfortable for you, but you feed them. You feed them. Now, every year around Easter, uh, we always announce this, that there are some people, a lot of people who are far from God, but they are close to you. Uh, and most people, probably about 60 or 70% of people would attend church on Easter uh, if you invited them, if you just simply invited them. And a lot of you guys have coworkers, friends, family members who are far from God, but they are close to you. And here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to you get involved and to not avoid responsibility, to not pray for God to somehow move in their life, um, but for you to risk it a little bit, step, up, step out of your comfort zone, and for you to invite them. And you're going to feel the temptation to procrastinate. You're going to feel the temptation to avoid responsibility. Well, I didn't, you know, it's not my job to, to, to talk to them. Or you're going to maybe even be worried, especially if you're not too happy with your own personal reputation. What will they think of me if I invite them to church? What if they say no? Am I going to be known as this Jesus freak at work that's talking to people about church? Um, like, how do I even sneak it into the conversation? Like, you're talking about LeBron James, Jesus. Like, what's the parallel? <laughs> King James, King Jesus. Is that a... And you are going to feel this uh, tension maybe inside of you, and we want you to do it. This year around Easter, we're going to take up an offering uh, to bless Hope for New York, to bless a church plant that's happening here in Harlem, to bless this community, to bless the work of God's ministries happening all throughout Harlem. And we're going to ask for every single person to give radically above and beyond what you can do. And you're going to feel the temptation to say next year. As soon as this gets cleared up, yeah, as soon as this happens, as soon as I book my Cuba trip, because everybody's going to Cuba these days, I haven't gone yet. <laughs> as soon as that trip goes through, then yes. Uh, you might procrastinate or you might try to avoid responsibility uh, and say, hey, it's not, you know, there's all these, look how many people are here. They don't need me to do this. They don't need my little money. Or you might start to worry, hey, how will my life be taken care of if I give above and beyond what I'm already giving right now? And here's what Jesus might tell to you, say to you, you feed them, you get involved. And he might be trying to work something inside of us that is going to change us fundamentally at a different level that is well above and beyond what you might be comfortable with. And if that's happening, that's a good thing. That might mean that you are in real relationship and that you are in real proximity with the real Jesus and not the Jesus of our imaginations. What does the Jesus of our imagination call us to do? Just be a little bit nicer. That's all he wants from you. Be you, just a little bit nicer. Like, don't curse your coworker out. Don't push the lady down the stairs if she's going to make you miss a subway. Just be you. Just be just a, tad, a little, little bit nicer than what you already are. He's not going to call you to do something radical. He's definitely not going to call you out of your comfort zone. No, 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 that's not Jesus, right? But here's what we see in Scripture. Jesus puts people in positions... 
Jesus puts people in positions where they have to trust him, and it is painfully uncomfortable. It is painfully disorienting uh, to follow Jesus at times, but this is how he treats people that place their faith in him. Here's what we see in the scripture. It's a little line in verse uh, 14. Uh, If you read through the scripture too fast, uh, you'll miss it. So after his disciples come to Jesus with their excuses, their limitations, Jesus' next word to them is this, great, have them sit down in groups of 50. They're like, whoa, I don't think you heard me, bro. I just said we got five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. I heard you. Have them sit down in groups of 50 each. Now, Jesus' immediate response to their limitations, to their frustration, to their fear was a call to radical trust and obedience to what he was asking them to do. Listen, yes, I've heard you. I've heard your limitations, but this is what an encounter with Jesus could look like. This is how he treats people who follow him. He puts us in these painful, painful situations, and in the same way that Jameson, my son, detests when I take out the nose free because he thinks that I'm trying to hurt him, to, that he thinks I'm trying to harm him, but he's actually doing, I'm actually doing the most loving thing possible. Could it be that Jesus is doing the most loving thing possible when he's calling us away from our previous crutches, uh, away from our independence to simply trust in him radically? Now, here's what I love about this line of scripture. When Jesus says, hey, have them sit down in groups of 50, uh, they're having to put their reputation on the line, and they're going to look really, really stupid if Jesus doesn't come through for them. He's putting it on them. Hey, yes, I heard you. Have them sit down in groups of 50. And they know they're probably walking to that group of 50 saying, if this dude Jesus doesn't come through with something, I'm going to look like an idiot because I'm, I'm stopping the people from going to leave now and get food. I'm stopping their progress from going to get food, and I'm going to be the reason they're going to be really hungry and really mad uh, if they don't get fed. But because Jesus said to do it, I'm going to do it. Because Jesus called me to do it is a fantastic reason to do something. Now, there's so many things in our life um, that you can procrastinate, try to avoid responsibility for or worry uh, about. And you may be thinking that you can avoid it, uh, but I think to be in real proximity with Jesus means that you and I are in encounters. We are in positions where we have no other choice but to simply trust that God is good and that God is true to his word. That God doesn't have bad motives for you, that God doesn't have bad motives for me, but that we can simply trust him. Because where trust exists, God moves. Where trust exists in your life, I'm not talking about trust in your plan, where trust exists in God, God moves. Now, I often think about uh, how terrible his disciples felt during that time, and I'm comforted knowing that I'm not alone. Uh, And you might feel comfortable also and comforted knowing that you're not alone if you feel like uh, the the burden of following Jesus is one that is uncomfortable. If that's what it is, then great. You are in a good place. You are in a really uh, good place. Now, Luke, uh, the author of the scripture, uh, includes a phrase in here that gives us the ultimate reason why you and I can trust Jesus above and beyond what we can see, what is comfortable to us. Uh, And it comes in verse 15. It says, the disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. Here's what Luke is doing here. Uh, Luke is foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do 
a couple chapters later in Luke 22, when he sat down with his disciples for what's called the Lord's Supper. Now, the reason that you and I can trust in Jesus and we can put our faith in Jesus, that he actually has good motives for us, that he actually has good intentions for us, that he is trustworthy, that he is good, and that we can go above and beyond is because he has already gone above and beyond for you and for me. What am I talking about? I'm talking about uh, the meal that Jesus had with his disciples called the Lord's, I mean, called the Last Supper. And in it, Jesus uh, blessed um, his disciples. He blessed the bread and then he broke it. And then he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he distributed it to his disciples. Now, this is why Jesus calls you and me to trust him above and beyond. And this is why you can trust him to go above and beyond your comfort zones because he has gone above and beyond for you and for me. Here's what basically Jesus is saying when he tells us in Luke 22, 17 through 19. It says it like this. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the bread, and I was torn to pieces so that you could be made whole. I took the penalty of human sin and judgment so that you, um, and I absorbed the judgment. If I had stayed whole, you would be broken. But since I was broken for you, you could be made whole with God. And this is the whole point of the gospel. Romans 5, 7, and 8, it says it like this, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus already went above and beyond. Basically what Paul is saying in Romans 5 is, rarely would somebody die for a righteous person. Rarely. Maybe you'll find a couple people who would do that. But God demonstrates his life, his life and his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. If you're wondering whether or not Jesus has your back, if you're wondering whether his motivations are for you, you need to look no further than the cross where Jesus' body was broken for you and for me, where he was torn to pieces so that you and I could be made whole. And it wasn't because you were all put together. It wasn't because you had dotted every I and crossed every T. It wasn't because you were so lovely. It was because of his love. And God's demonstrated his love for us in that. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly. Now, in just a moment, we're going to take communion together as a faith family. And as you come to the table, here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to think about in your mind, where could God be calling you to do? And I want you to receive the communion from the hands of our greeters, but know that you're really receiving it from the nail-pierced hands of Jesus that's asking you, hey, listen, do this in remembrance of me. Remember that I was torn to pieces so that you can be whole. And everything I'm calling you to do, listen, it's not because I want harm for you. I want the absolute best for you. If you can't trust my intentions, look no further than Jesus on that cross. And you and I can trust, you and I can know that God's intentions for us are good. His plans for our lives are solid. His goal for our lives is good. And even if it feels uncomfortable, even if it feels like it's above and beyond what God wants to do, uh, what he should be doing in our life, we can trust in his life. We can trust in his love poured out for us. Now, if you're new to church and this 
Christianity thing is still something you're thinking through and processing through, uh, we would invite you to stay in your seats and not feel any pressure because there are a lot of other people taking communion for you to also take communion. Uh, I would invite you to sit in your seat and to pray and to consider uh, one of the scriptures that we've talked about or to, to ask God, hey God, what is it? What would it look like for me to follow you? And after service, you'll have a chance to speak to our response team about what that next step of faith could look like for you. But for us who are going to, who have placed our faith in Christ today, would you receive the body of our Lord torn for us, the body of our Lord broken for us, so you and I could be made whole? Hey, at the end of the scripture, it says that there were so many pieces left over that they had baskets and baskets to collect uh, of just extras. And here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus is not just enough. He's more than enough. His body broken for us is not just enough to get you to squeak by. He is more than enough. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we give our lives to you. Um, God, you can speak to our hearts individually and know what we need to be doing, know how we should be responding to you. God, I'm sorry for the fear that's caused me to hold back. I'm sorry for the ways that I don't trust you with my own life. I'm sorry for our misjudging your motives and thinking that you're out to harm me when in fact you are out for good in my life. Jesus, today as we receive these elements and we worship you, Jesus, would we have a better image of who you are in our heads? And would that dominate our thoughts? Would we be able to trust you more? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.